The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 24th chapter. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's begin with the traditional Easter greeting, if we could. I will say, Alleluia, Christ is risen. You'll respond, Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. So first I want to say welcome, welcome, welcome to each and every one of you. I don't know if anyone's noticed, the last couple of years have been a little strange. Two years ago at Easter, we had just begun worshiping as had pretty much the rest of the world, uh, online only. So the, on Easter two years ago, um, this sanctuary was empty. Last year, we returned to our ongoing in-person um, worship with some restrictions and modifications actually on Monday, Thursday of last year. So just a few days before Easter, uh, the pastors were chatting about this uh, last night, actually, trying to remember everything that had happened. Last Easter, believe it or not, what we did is we had an 8.30 and an 11 o'clock in-person service, and at 9.45, we had virtual only, um, or online only, so it is so good to have you all here. And I mean that not only for those of you who are in the sanctuary, but also those of you who are in our overflow seating, and thank you for your flexibility, whether you're in the narthex or fellowship hall, it's a good problem to have, but I realize it requires some 
um, flexibility on your part, so thank you. And of course, uh, welcome to those of you joining us online. Um, we're so grateful for your presence. And uh, I know in the last few weeks and months, we've had a number of people uh, return to church for the first time in person. Uh, I'm, I know for a fact, because I've talked to some of you, that this today is your first time back in person. So to you, I say a special welcome. And to those of you who are joining us for the first time ever, whether here in person or online, a special welcome again to you. As we say every week, we have been expecting you. And we are delighted that you are here. So again, my hearty welcome to each of you. I'm so glad we can celebrate Easter together. I want to begin this morning's message by asking a question. Maybe it's a question you've never thought about. Um, maybe you will determine it's not particularly important, but it struck me as a good place to start. And the, you know, we're here obviously to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, the center, the heart of our faith. So the question is, if I asked you to draw a picture of the resurrection, what would you draw? This is not a rhetorical question. Thoughts? Empty tomb? The women at the tomb. The women at the tomb? Light? A flash of light, okay. Flowers. Flowers. Anything else? Empty cross, yep. All of those are the kind of answers I would have expected, and I want to, and they're good answers. I'm not critiquing them. <laughs> I like them all. But um, they, they sort of point to a truth I want to get at, which is none of them uh, are, are drawings of the resurrection itself. They are images or, or drawings of maybe what was left by the resurrection, the empty tomb, the stone rolled away, or they are maybe symbols of the resurrection. Maybe, uh, I don't know if Easter lilies were, were raised up. But, and I, I don't know if that troubles you or not. I mean, I could imagine, we live in a suspicious and cynical world that isn't all that keen on organized religion. I can imagine someone saying, oh, well, the resurrection of Jesus is the most important part of your faith and you can't even draw a picture of it. How true could it be, right? And I would imagine that some of us as Christians might feel a little defensive about that. So it got me thinking about a, let's call it a, a parallel uh, concept from an entirely different line of inquiry or a line of ways of knowing. And I was reminded uh, as I was reflecting on this of a field trip I took in high school. I grew up in the western suburbs of Chicago about 30 minutes west of where I grew up, there was a place, it's still there actually, called Fermi Lab, F-E-R-M-I. Has anyone heard of Fermi Lab? So many of you are raising your hands. So Fermi Lab is a place that studies subatomic particles. At one point, it was the world's most powerful accelerator, a thing that accelerates subatomic particles, as I understand it, using electromagnetic forces to send them spinning around a big, circle and then smash them into one another or a target so that when they um, uh, hit that target, uh, 
physicists, scientists can study those particles. So here I am, I'm in high school. We're gonna take a field trip to Fermilab, a place that studies subatomic particles. And forgive me if I'm kind of simple, but I thought, okay, I guess we're going to see some subatomic particles. Some of you may know this, but it turns out it doesn't work that way. And it was incredibly disorienting to me, I have to say. What we saw instead of subatomic particles was pictures, images. You remember slides? I think that's what they used, slides. And what those slides were of were of um, not the particles themselves, but the trail that those particles left in something called a bubble chamber filled with gas or liquid. And it literally, the, the particles would hit their target, uh, they would smash apart into their constituent parts, and then they would leave these trails. And based on the shape of those trails and the size of literally the microscopic bubbles and the distance of them, the scientists could discern something about the particles themselves. But they didn't see the particles. You with me? Lest you think I am making this up. I'm very careful about what I say up here. I actually, I'm not kidding about this. I reached out to a nuclear particle physicist this past week. He's, he, believe it or not, he's someone who spoke in the Faith and Life series a number of years ago. I think it was the 2005 season. His name is Stephen Barr, if you want to look it up. I emailed him, oh yes, nice to hear from you, Pastor Tim. I remember our time fondly, blah, blah, blah. Here's, I'm quoting from his email response back to me. You are right that the particles are detected by their effects on other things. No one sees the particles themselves. What they see is their effect on other things. I sure hope the particles are there, folks. <laughs> kind of important to all material existence, but we don't see them. But the fact that we can't see them doesn't make them not true. You with me? All right. It may be becoming clear that the exact same dynamic is how the resurrection works. We don't see the resurrection itself. The, Bibli the, the biblical characters didn't even see it. The Bible doesn't witness to the event of the resurrection. It witnesses to things that happen after it. The gospel reading we just heard, the women go to the tomb and the messengers, the angels say, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Happened sometime in the middle of the night. No one was there. If someone had been there and tried to draw a picture of it, I don't think they would have been able to because it would have been too mysterious, too profound, too difficult to comprehend. Okay, so uh, we're not, I, when I was a kid, I think when I came to church on Easter, I thought, oh, well, we're going to, again, get a picture of the resurrection, to hear about the resurrection, and that's not quite accurate, I think. And as I've gotten older, I've become much more convicted, let's say, or impressed, not by trying to see the resurrection itself, but by paying attention to its effect on the people around it at that time, namely the disciples. And I could spend a lot of time talking about this. The disciples were changed, transformed, 
They were different people before the Easter event and after the Easter event. I cannot stress that enough. Before Easter, they were scared and afraid and cowering behind closed, locked doors, concerned for their safety and welfare, self-focused. After the event of the resurrection, which they did not see, what they saw was encounters with the risen Jesus, they were freed. They were changed. No longer locking be locked behind closed doors, no longer worried about themselves, but sent out into the world, unconcerned about their safety when they shared with that world the love of God as demonstrated through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, which convinced them that death had been defeated once and for all. Now, do you think, in 2022, that God is still interested in communicating God's love to the world? Do you think that God is still interested in 2022 in communicating the power of the resurrection for us today? I know we, people say, oh, we live in a, a cynical culture, and people don't care about church anymore. You know, we're becoming more secular. Folks, I don't believe it. We are wired as human beings to respond to what is good and true and beautiful. We are, we seek in our lives meaning and purpose. And as Christians, we believe that that meaning and purpose drives squarely from the event of the resurrection. As Dorothy Sayers, one of my favorite authors, says, it's the only thing that has ever really happened. Right? So if God wants to communicate what's good and true and beautiful, if God wants to communicate meaning and purpose out into the world, how is God going to do that in 2022? You know how? Through you. And here's the point where people in the pews squirm a little and they think, uh-oh. <laughs> Here's where the pastor starts telling me, I gotta be more, be better, be stronger, be more faithful. Folks, that is not what I am here to tell you today. And I wanna remind you again of those disciples, the first disciples. What happened in the final days of Jesus' life? They failed him miserably. They were an incredible, huge disappointment. <laughs> Truly, Judas betrayed him into the hands of his enemies. Peter, supposedly the strong one, denied him not once, twice, three times he denied him. The other disciples, save for John and the women, the women come off really well. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. God bless them. But John, and, or, and, and John does as well, but the other disciples, they all abandon him. And so they start hearing rumors about Jesus being raised from the dead, and how do they feel? I'll tell you how they feel. Scared. They're thinking, I did not behave particularly well the last few days. And if Jesus is still alive, or if he's conquered death, if he's been raised from the dead, I don't really want to know what he has to say to me because I have a feeling it's not going to be good. He's coming back for revenge. 
right? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I have a few questions for you. Has anyone here, like those first disciples, ever disappointed another person? Has anyone here ever disappointed yourself? Has anyone here ever hurt another person, intentionally or otherwise? Has anyone here ever felt inadequate, not good enough? Again, I didn't, I'm asking you to raise your hands in your heads, right? If I asked us to raise our hands, I have a sneaky suspicion I know how many hands would be raised in terms of a percentage, and I'm guessing it starts with a one and has two zeros following it. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. All right. So congratulations. You're exactly the kind of person that God is looking for to carry his message of love to the world, not because God is asking you to be stronger or more faithful or better. All God is saying to you on this Easter Sunday is this, I know who you are. I know everything about you. I know all the wonderful things you've done. And I know the way you've disappointed yourselves and others. And I say to you here on this Easter Sunday, peace be with you. I love you. And I have work for you to do. And all we have to do on this Easter Sunday is receive that love. And here's the thing, when we do receive that love and go about our, our life and our work, an amazing thing happens. You remember how I talked about those particles and how in that bubble chamber they leave a path that lets scientists discern something about those, those uh, particles? When we receive God's love into our life, and we go about our, our, our work in the world, we live our lives, we leave a path not because we're so brilliant or faithful or because we're such geniuses, but because of God's love. We leave a path that looks and smells like Jesus. One of my favorite authors um, talks about this dynamic as the utterly gratuitous love of God by which we live astonished. I love that phrase, the utterly gratuitous love of God by which we live astonished. I pray this Easter, my dear friends, that we will once again be astonished by this incredible love, that we will receive it for ourselves, but also that we will receive it for the sake of the world so that we can be sent back out and in those trails we make, we can make the world look and smell like Jesus and point people to the truth of the resurrection. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Amen.